Hello, friends. Happy Thursday. That's right. It's Thursday. What am I doing popping up in your feed here? Well, I'm going to tell you what. I wanted to share a little audio with you from a recent interview I did on the Year Zero podcast with my friend Tommy Sammons. Tommy hosts an awesome podcast. He's been doing this for a couple of years now and just has tremendous conversations. I, I think Tommy is just one of the best out there in terms of having a very real, raw conversation. Um, and I can't recommend highly enough checking out the Year Zero podcast. You know how to find podcasts. You just go, you type in Year Zero into your podcatcher and you'll find it. It really is that simple. Uh, so do check out Year Zero with Tommy Sammons. But here today, I want to share with you my recent discussion that I had on the Year Zero podcast. Here is my talk with Tommy Sammons. I'm here with Mr. Mark Clare of the Mark Clare Show. What's going on, man? What's happening, Tommy? Good to be here. Yeah, it's a and it's a day. I mean, my dog is in a mood today. I don't know what his deal is, but he is just whining. Chasing ducks again? No, nah, he's sitting, he's laying next to me, just whining about everything. Mm. And I'm like, what is wrong with you, dude? <laughs> like, I have things to do. I can't sit here and nurse you. <laughs> something in the moon and the stars, something like that. Something, who knows? Yeah. But uh, all right, man. Uh, so, how have you been doing? I'm doing. I mean, there's there's a lot of a lot of directions I can go with that question, but uh, generally speaking, very good. It's been definitely a a year or two or three of massive, massive changes in my life. Um, some of them very intentional. Some of them just felt like they're coming at me, and I was going with the flow. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, since we last talked, uh, I think I was in Mexico with you when you were on my show last, and when I was on your show last as well. Yeah. So, uh, I'm now settled in Florida uh, with my wife and son, and um, yeah, it's been a oh, we've been here about just over six months now. So, uh, we're still kind of in the getting settled range, especially because we just showed up here with suitcases. No furniture, no house, no nothing. Uh, so it's all been a rebuilding process in many ways. It was like we we broke the whole thing down, essentially, and, and building it back from scratch. Yeah. Well, sometimes that, that's just the way you have to do it. And, you know, it'll, it, it's going to be what it's going to be, you know. But um, you, you're, you, you started a new show. You left Lines of Liberty. You started a new show. And um, you've been kind of going down this this rabbit hole of um, metaphysics and like kind of esoteric um, subjects. So, so how's that been treating you? Uh, how's that changed your perspective? Yeah, well, it's one of those things. I mean, I, I've always been from a young age just interested in the mysterious uh the mysteries of the universe you might say um I, I think when i was a kid that was more like um well i mean just the normal the normal science stuff like galaxies and black holes and all these things that they teach you about but then there was beyond that you know i found art bell on the radio um i got really into like things like the x-files uh the whole ufo thing just completely fascinated me ghost stories all of that stuff really always got my mind turning um i think there was part of me that was a kid and would think well, we know that's not really real, you know, um, but there's the other part of me that was fascinated. Like, well, what if it is? Well, what if what if there are ghosts? Uh, what if those are aliens in the sky? Um, so that's always been an interest of mine. And um, it didn't I don't know if it's related. It's probably all related to politics in a way or related to the same path of just seeking truth. You know, I, I've always been sort of wanting to find the truth, whatever that may be. And I think when you're seeking the truth, you can go in so many different directions. Uh, at one point, my seeking of the truth was like my worship of Ron Paul and libertarianism. And because uh, I it, it rang true to me when I heard him speak on a stage, it just rang true. Um, and similarly, in the last few years, um, while I've been on and I've always been on a sort of exploratory course, I've become a lot more serious and interested in in religion and the philosophy behind that more of a worldview kind of thing than just like the political, which is really just dealing with the material world right now. So that's, that's the, um, Buck Johnson is going to cringe. That's the journey I've been on, uh, for, for some time now. And, uh, Probably not unrelated to around the same time I met my wife, got married, not unrelated to around the same time the whole COVID thing was happening, Koofy thing, excuse me, and um, everything going around that really opened my eyes to what I feel is the existence of evil in the world. And when you, when you embrace that there is evil in the world, 
I mean, it would be really depressing if you didn't also embrace that there's good in the world. I mean, you, you almost have to as the counterbalance or you just ex- or you just get into this nihilistic state where everything is horrible, uh, which I've been in places like that before. And that, that doesn't sound like the, the, the fun path for me. So um, what I've been trying to find is sort of um, I, I'm kind of on a similar path as to when I was first investigating libertarianism and trying to get to the roots of it, reading the old the old text, if you will, the the uh, the libertarian scripture, talking to all the experts. And I'm kind of doing that um, with religion now. It, in some ways it's been, I say religion, but like, I think 75% of my guests have been Orthodox Christian. And that sounds like it's an, not an accident, but it kind of is oddly enough. I've just reached out to people that were talking about things that were of interest to me. Um, and I think, I think part of that too, is that I kind of reject, I kind of blew off Christianity early on in life because I blew off Judaism, which I had grown up with. And to me, it was just like, oh yeah, same basic thing. They got the same book. And then the Jesus guy came. I don't need to really learn more about that. So I kind of always brushed that aside as I was looking deeper into other religions like Buddhism, Hinduism, um, which isn't really a per se religion, but but this sort of thing. I was just looking into what what the ancients believed, and but for some reason always kind of brushed off Christianity for a long time until the past couple of years when it's obviously not a coincidence, but I, I found myself resonating with a lot of people who I then later find out, oh, this person's an Orthodox Christian or this person's a catechumen or this person's on that path. Uh, so, of course, I'm not going to pretend there's not a certain resonance there that I'm feeling and that it, it's probably not a coincidence that uh, a, a large number of my guests have happened to be Orthodox Christian. But I do say happen to be because I'm not researching Orthodox Christians to talk to. I'm just finding interesting people that are talking about the things that I want to talk about. And then, oh, turns out this person's Orthodox too. So that's kind of where that's been going. I might it might disappoint my my Ortho Bro fans because I have a good number of them to say that I'm not intentionally doing an Orthodox Christian podcast. But um, that's kind of the direction things have gone. And lately, I plan to go in other directions as well as continue with that direction. But it has it has interestingly become like a, a large part of the podcast in, the, in its early. Uh, it's been about four months now. Yeah, it's a long it, answer to how I'm doing. No, that that's fine. <laughs> it, it's it reminds me of uh something i was i was saying to one of my listeners the other day that um you know i was i i entered libertarianism a lot like you like looking for truth i was just trying to figure out what what was what how the world operated what was going on around me um i started noticing things and and I would get curious, so I'd read on it and look it up and try to seek out podcasts and and find people that knew more about it than I did. And um, it got to a point where I just wanted to talk to people about it. I didn't want to just listen to other people talk about it because mm-hmm. like, it, it seemed like the podcasts I were, was listening to were good, but they weren't asking the questions I wanted to ask. And so they... I, they would like get right up into the line and then they would like drop off and, and miss like several points that I had come up with. So I followed that path and then I, I started seeing what was going on in the culture with like, and I use abortion as, um, as an example <clears throat> and how, people treated it like a sacrament and and got so upset when it wasn't just the way it was supposed to be across the, the entire globe that each state, each individual community kind of has their own decisions. And I'm looking at that going, okay, well, wait, I thought child sacrifice, you know, went out years ago and, and here you are talking about, you don't want to have a kid. You don't want to be forced into this position of taking responsibility for your actions because you want to pursue something else. So you're sacrificing the child for your own, for a future promise or a future benefit. So that sounds a lot like child sacrifice to me. I mean, it's, it's the opposite of sacrificing yourself for your child it's the opposite of of what um i want to think any decent person sees as as the good and just way um but it's examples like that that have i think shown a lot of people like me like okay this is like i think growing up I, i always took that stance on abortion that like oh well of course, like, yeah, if there's some medical necessity or something goes wrong, like, yeah, of course they have to be, they have the, the right to do whatever they have to do in that medical situation. And that's kind of how it was always pitched to me. I, I, I never really, 
saw or heard of until recent years, and maybe the internet and Twitter and all this is a large part of that. I never really heard people pro-abortion. You know, I heard people that were like thought there should be pro-choice laws for certain reasons or what have you. But it was to me, it's only been in the last three or four years. You've actually seen the celebration of it, like like the demand for it, almost like you said, like a ritual sacrifice. I mean, hearing stories that you see women bragging about having five, (coughs) six, seven, eight abortions, like they're just notching uh, rungs on their satanic belt. And then you do start to see things in in more of a good evil context, because obviously someone like that who's bragging about seven abortions didn't have seven medical emergencies, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, and it it made me take a step back and look at the way I viewed morality. And it really had very little to do with abortion itself. It was just the way that it was being discussed and handled that I was like, wait a second. And, I, you know, the people that are quote unquote shouting their abortion or saying, you know, you know, standing there with their nine-year-old kid saying, I wish I would have had an abortion, have this like kind of relativistic or subjective view of morality. Whereas the people on the other side of the argument that are anti-abortion have this objective view of reality. And I realized that through from a libertarian lens, I was arguing an objective morality. Hmm. And, and then I started seeing the dividing lines within the libertarian world where you had the subjectivists and you had the objectivists. And I'm, I'm, I was looking at that. And, and so it got me interested in where morality comes from. And I, I identified more with those of the objective side of morality who happened to all be Christian. And then I started examining the Christian doctrine because I was, I was raised Southern Baptist and I don't really, I I don't identify with those people anymore. There were, there was a lot that went on that in the churches that I saw and I was like, "Eh, I'm uncomfortable with that. But I saw the Orthodox and I realized that I had a lot in common with them. A lot of the subjects they were talking about, a lot like what you're you're saying, it just kind of happened to be that those were the people I was sharing all these commonalities with. Right. And so I ended up going down that road and eventually, you know, joined the church and and went through the catechumen process and and became a member. And you're another example of someone who I've been resonating with over the last couple of years. Um, I feel like I'm kind of on the same wavelength with, I had no idea until like two weeks ago that there were three weeks ago or something. Cause you haven't really been talking about it too much um, publicly. So it's just another example of like, yeah, we're resonating, but it's not because you're, ortho- maybe it is because of it, but it's not on the surface because of it. You know, it's not, it's not like I said, Oh, Orthodox Christian, let's talk to this Tommy guy. It's been the exact opposite. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I, don't, I didn't talk about it a lot because I was, I mean, I talked to some people because I was going through a lot of things. I talked to Buck about it a lot. Yeah. And Adam Patrick, I talked to a lot, <clears throat> but I was going through a lot of um, <clears throat> what they would, what you would call um, spiritual battle uh, with, with the entire thing. And I'm, I'm reading a book right now about St. Silouan and his biography. And I'm, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of the parallels that I was dealing with. <clears throat> with what he dealt with whenever he went to Mount Athos. So that, that helps out like being able to, to read on successful Christians that have become saints and, and recognizing that the struggle that you're going through isn't, isn't necessarily some unique thing to you. And, uh, and this comes back around to the abortion issue and the child sacrifice. I, I began to, understand and witness and that all of these things that we were seeing in in the modern world whether it be drag queen story hour the abuse of children um the the rise in the popularity of pedophilia and you know changing the their their name to maps instead of pedophiles it, it it's all just a recycling of old ancient yes. sins that that had dominated like Romans and Greeks of old prior to Christianity. And it's like, well, there, it, it reminds there's nothing new under the sun kind of deal. And it's like, why is this like polyamory? Why is this being recycled? What is it about this 
that is so ritualistic that it becomes like it, it just like puts itself in the frame of the Overton window, you know, and just becomes like what there is that we're talking about. And I've noticed that a lot of what you're dealing with on your show is, are those types of subjects. Yeah. I think especially when you start to realize that this is ancient and these are old rituals coming back, it's, it's kind of, uh, you know, out with the old and with the old, uh, you know, it's, it's, I think I just made that phrase up. I don't know if I've ever heard that before, uh, but, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's, it's always been there and maybe it's more pronounced right now to, to a lot of us, but it, it, it's never went away. Maybe it's more transparent now. Um, but when you realize it's ancient and when you realize it's old, you also realize that people were dealing with this thousands of years ago and they did come up with answers and they did come up with explanations. And that's one thing that I found uh, sort of reading um, biblical texts and, and sort of trying to understand that stuff more is that they had answers. They had explanations for what I see in the world today, which can't be explained by anything else that I've been able to find. So when I'm looking for answers and I see that people a couple thousand years ago actually had answers. Now, maybe it turns out those answers are bullshit. I don't know, but they have answers and they have very clear answers and ones that I don't find anywhere else. Um, even you know, just my recent interview with, uh, with Posh Redneck, um, he, you know, he, his whole going, we went all through the concept of demons, how they influence us. Um, to me, like that concept, it, it answers so many questions to me that I couldn't explain otherwise throughout my life and throughout what I see in other people. Um, now, maybe others might say, well, yeah, that's that's a, a mythical superstition that people came up with to explain what we now know is just like, I don't know, chemical interactions in our brain or you going crazy or whatever it may be. Um, but to me, um, especially after a couple of years of, of seeing what science tells us, uh, I'm more inclined to, to believe the guys that have been talking about this for, for a couple of years from a spiritual point of view, more so than I am, you know, Anthony Fauci or a modern equivalent or he's yeah. a modern equivalent. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I know what you're saying. I mean, there's a, a book I have, uh, I don't know where it's at, but, uh, it, I think it's by, um, Donald Hoffman, uh, the, he's a scientist and, uh, it's basically like the whole, the whole, uh, idea uh, behind the book is like, we've, we, we've evolved in order to see the world as we see it today, not because that's the reality of the world, but, but that's because what we need to see to survive. Mm. And it's like, hmm. Like, it's almost like science is discovering religion. You know what I'm saying? Mm, right, right. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's the other thing, too. As I've, like, as I studied religion more and also learned more about what science doesn't actually know and doesn't actually understand and can't actually prove, uh, you realize how much of science really is, you know, you might say educated theory. But it's theory. It really is theory, unprovable theory. Um, and they and they they there's a lot of explanations for things. You see this all the time. Of well, here's exactly what this creature looked like seven billion seven billion years ago. That was the uh, the ancestor of dogs and bears. And we know this because. And then you look to find out why there's no because it's because they made it up. <laughs> they, they spent a day <laughs> doodling in a room and guessing what animals would have had, had to evolve from. And then they present it as evidence of evolution or evidence that goes against what, uh, you know, what scripture might say or what have you. Um, it's not at best. It's just another story we're being told. And you can choose to believe that story just like someone could choose to believe uh, an older story. Um, but it's all a story and it all requires an act of faith. No matter how you look at it. I don't care if you believe in the big bang that requires an act of faith too. Um, what caused the big bang? There's, there's always going to be a, what caused this behind it? Um, even if it's true that something caused a big bang and that led to us talking on this podcast ultimately right now, I still need to know what caused that, what created the, yeah. the conditions for that explosion of matter to turn into our brains and our consciousness communicating with each other. And to me, science has, has not provided any explanation for that. I remember reading an article, um, couple of years ago and it was it was discussing how if you if you look into space through like like the most powerful telescope they have that you can see 
back in history to the remnants of the Big Bang. Mm-hmm. And and I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about the cre- creation myth, and I'm 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 like, what if the bang was the voice of God? Mm-hmm. What if that explosion was the voice of God? Sure, you know. And I'm like, hmm. And so that got me. That just it sent me down a rabbit hole of like, wait a minute. <laughs> You can't, even if the big bang happened, it doesn't disprove anything. No, not at all. I mean, yeah, that's, that's why I say, you know, it, it could have entirely happened and that can line exactly up with, you know, what people might believe in a religious sense. Even if we're talking seven days, creation, 7 billion years, whatever it might be, um, our, our human material concepts of time don't necessarily apply. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not even saying the Bible shouldn't be taken literally in that way. I, I think, I think possibly it should. I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not really the expert on that, but I, I think it could be taken literally and it could be also be taken completely in, in line with something like a big bang. Um, why couldn't the word of God be the big bang that creates all the matter, creates all the systems, creates everything. And then he goes, all right, I'm going to put all the life on this little thing on earth. You know, that, that there's no reason that's inconsistent with me for me. Right. One of the things I always say is if, if there is a being that can speak existence into reality, what makes us think that we can rationalize anything about that being? Right. Of course. It's like, uh, you know, well, it's like an ant being living in like an ant farm in, in like my house or something. Um, and not that I have an ant farm, but, um, but you know, you could, is even if the ant could get to a point where it could comprehend that I am a being that, that keeps it in this little house and that, that created its current environment, even if an ant could think in that way, which it can't probably, but even if it could, it still couldn't understand anything about me. It still couldn't even right. figure out what the hell I am, how my consciousness, because I can't even figure that out. So it certainly couldn't figure that out. Now, I assume God God would know how he works, um, but it, it's so far beyond our potential comprehension. And, and in some ways, this, this, this is something that I think about too. It's almost like, so should I not bother? <laughs> you know, if it's so far out of my comprehension, should I not bother trying to comprehend it? And in some ways, yeah, I think that is the hardest thing in some ways to as someone who always wants to know the truth and wants to know the answer what's the exact history of the world is tartaria real uh are there are there lands beyond the ice wall i'm interested in all these weird theories the hollow earth i want to know the truth about all this stuff the hardest thing to accept as a uh, you know a self-styled truth seeker back in the day is that there's a lot of things i'm just never going to be able to comprehend and i'm just never going to know and i can have fun theorizing about them and i do and i will uh but i'm not really gonna know the nature of everything, probably because that's just beyond my capacity as a human being who has limited uh, capacity to comprehend space, matter, and time. I can really just comprehend what's around me and what others tell me, which a lot of which is hard to for any one person to verify. So at the end of the day, we're all going on faith from something. Um, we're, we're Maybe we're going on more of an ancient faith that's been passed down. Maybe we're going on the faith of what our teachers and our the scientists and our government officials tell us. It's all faith in the end. So I don't know. Um, I think we can dig into certain things and maybe debunk certain things or, or sort of figure out more of what's the truth from our ability to comprehend that or not. But I think that has its limits. And that's the hardest thing to accept um, when seeking truth, I guess, is that you're not going to you're not, I'm never going to get the book that tells me everything, tells me exactly what God is, uh, how everything was created, the entire history of the world, every little weird conspiracy, if it's true or not. I'm never going to know all that stuff. I'll have fun. I'll have fun trying, but I, I think at some point it's hard to let go and be like, there's things I'm not going to know. So I, I kind of do have to choose my faith at some point um, because we're all choosing faith in something at the end of the day. Well, and that, that leads me because I asked you a question uh, a while back in your chat. And uh, so I want to, I want to, I figured let's, let's flesh this question out here if we can. Um, faith, your, whatever faith that you, that you pursue, that you, you shine forward, that you live out in your life is based upon your presuppositions. So w- since you've started this journey, you, you've gotten married, you're, you're raising a, a child now, um, which is just awesome. I mean, I've seen you grow so much just in the last year. Like, it's just 
Sometimes I don't even feel like I'm talking to the same person anymore. I feel like I was a child like three years ago. <laughs> so. I understand. Sometimes I still feel like one. Um, but uh, when you, as you've like over the last few months, you've interviewed some really interesting people and you've had some really interesting converse, uh, conversations. Which one of these guests so far has kind of blown your mind the most? And shattered some of your presuppositions of the past and made you really question your reality who who's who's the most impactful guest you've had so far that's a tough one because pretty much all of them have done that in some way shape or form um but since you're putting me to the fire here i am gonna i'm gonna make a decision um probably father turbo qualls as as sort of uh shaken me the most um in a good way, a, a good shake. Um, and part of it is just, um, I'm not, I'm not sure if you've so, ever spoken to him or not, but, but, but there is something, and I'm sure it's even different in person. I know Buck met him in person and it's just, there's something about speaking to him where you just feel at peace. Like I just felt like at peace that entire interview completely, which I, I, I'm always comfortable with interviews at this point, I've been doing it for almost a decade, but it was sort of a different level of things for him from him where i just felt like i was talking to a friend who's trying to explain things to me a friend who's been through a lot of things a friend i've never met before or talked to before but that that's just how he he very much comes across um i think one thing that he really put into my mind that explained a lot of things for me and of course again not coincidentally i'm sure like four guests i've talked to after this he brought this up have brought this up coincidentally as well but it's the the concept of the logismi the i the idea of the thoughts that can enter your mind they actually enter your mind that they're not necessarily your own thoughts and all throughout my life i've had certain situations where just like a thought would enter my mind that didn't it didn't make sense to me as why it would enter my mind like why would this thought that doesn't align with what i'm really want or what i'm really thinking why would it enter my mind? And sometimes I would brush that thought aside, be like, all right, I'm not going to do that. That that enter my mind. Other times I would follow that thing. Be like, yeah, I am going to go. Yeah. You know what? I am going to go, go to this bar and get a drink that I'm driving by. I'm just going to go do that, that thing. Um, I'm going to go talk to this person that, that looks shady that I probably shouldn't talk to because this thing in my mind told me to do it. And I'm, yeah, I'm going to take that suggestion. So I've been on both sides of it. Um, and when I and when he said that and introduced that concept to me, it was like I flashed back through my entire life, and I just saw all these instances, instances where I followed those those voices, usually not turning out good. Instances where I didn't listen to those voices, and usually being glad I I didn't. Yeah. And when he put it in this concept of like, yeah, that's that's demons, that's demons trying to influencing you. Like they can't control you, they can't read your mind, which is comforting. They can't read your mind, but they can see what you're doing, and they can see how you act, and they can you know, basically try to, uh, to lure you in with, with thoughts and, and that sort of thing and to try to influence your behavior. Um, and recognizing that has really changed my world in so many ways. Cause now I feel like not that I can't fall under that influence, but I feel like I'm even more conscious now and I, I can more easily just sort of go, all right, I don't need to like stress over why I'm thinking that I can just tell it to fuck off, <laughs> you yeah. know? And that's really powerful too. That's really empowering in a way too. And again, you know, maybe psychotherapy people or science people would be like, this is just their explanation for w- what we can explain of other things going on in your brain, your doubts, your fears. Um, I'm not sure I care what, what the explanation is, but, <laughs> but thinking of it in these terms is more, is much more powerful to me and it's much more empowering and gives you control over it. It's certainly a lot better to me than go take these pills now. Uh, so you're less anxious, uh, you know, Oh, you need to calm down these voices in your head here. Take this every night. You'll be fine. Um, no, telling it to fuck off is a lot more powerful to me. <laughs> not, not the first, not the father qualls, the father turbo uh, said, said to do that exactly, but that, that, that's my own phrasing of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, what I, I deal with that a lot. And those of us with, with more creative imaginations um, have to deal with that. And it's because we're, we're open to the influence of thought. Hmm. And it reminded, it reminds me of the, um, there's an old saying that people don't have ideas. Ideas have people. Hmm. And, and so it, it, it's very much that, that idea that there's these ideas, these thoughts, they have a life force of their own. And as you follow them, you, you're feeding that life, Mm -hmm. that life force. 
And I don't know if this is all, it all needs to be negative either. I mean, I, I feel like some things I have done have also been somewhat divinely inspired in a way like this whole show that came together. It almost feels like it just happened to me. Like, like it was just sort of suggested to me that I, why don't I just do my own show? And then as soon as I heard that suggestion, this is by an actual human, not not by his uh, spirit necessarily, but you know maybe that's all the same thing in a way. Um, and it was just like instantly, like oh yeah, that's what I have to do. Of course, that's what I have to do. And then a- as I started thinking about it, like things just kind of came to me, like the, the music, the the graphics, the intro. Like I barely even did anything except allow the people to come to me to do those things for me and put it all together for me. And, and yeah, I guess I'm doing the work, so to speak, I'm sitting down and scheduling things and recording the conversations, but there's a lot of ways. I I just feel like I'm just like, almost like a, you ever seen the movie Donnie Darko? Yeah. Where he gets that, that beam of light and it just kind of guides him. He's not even really doing it. Sometimes that's how I feel. I feel like I'm just, I'm just following the beam and I'm, I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do. Um, obviously I'm, I realize I'm a much more active participant in it and I could, I could reject that stuff. I could reject the signs showing me to do this and that. And, um, but I think discernment is a big one trying to discern, like, what are the healthy thoughts in your mind? What's the inspiration? What are the inspiring thoughts, um, that maybe you might call divinely inspired or whatever it may be. And what are the negative thoughts that are trying to tear you down that, that, that following is going to put you off the path that following is going to make you miss the mark. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think when you look at it in this context, it's actually not that hard to just take a second and be like, all right, I know what's really the wrong path. Like I know what's really bad for me. Mm. And when you trust yourself a little bit, um, you can make, you can have that discernment better. Not that I'm perfect. I'm sure I make wrong decisions all the time, but I think it is when you put that trust in yourself and you, and you can decide you're going to discern between what's an, an, whatever you want to call it. What's a demon influencing you or what's just a negative thought trying to influence you and what's not. Well, it makes you also, it, it also makes you more aware, at least with me, of what I'm putting in my mind. And, right. and therefore, I'm not, it, it, I, I, I used to read a lot of horror novels. Mm-hmm. That was kind of my thing back me in too. the day. And you, and you can tell, like, if you read, like, my writing, like, the, the fiction that I write and I've written over the years, you can read it and you can tell what, who I was reading, what, what kind of influence I was like putting in me and what you have to, what I've come to realize, what I've come to understand is that, that all those things that I'm putting into my mind, into my ears, you know, they're becoming part of my life. I live them out on a day-to-day basis. And so I'm very much more aware of what I'm intaking and ingesting as far as that goes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, definitely being more aware of what, what you're putting into. Cause if, if everything is like an influence of some sort, um, even like a product of the media, a music video, a novel, um, pornography, certainly, uh, these have influences that got them to be created. Uh, so there's an, there can be a lot of evil influences and negative influences that influence the creation of a thing. So maybe if it's not a direct influence on you, if it influenced this thing that's been created and then you're voluntarily consuming it, well, you're sort of inviting that in as well. Um, like I, I grew up reading Stephen King novels and I think he's a fantastic writer, but there's a part of me now that I can't, I can't really look at them the same way. Cause it, it just, it feels like he really understands evil, um, but maybe not in the good way. I, I, I don't know. It, it, Especially not, if you read his Twitter feed. Right. Well, yeah, I, I think that's part of it, too. Now, now these past <laughs> few years, so many of these people who were just sort of nameless. And I mean, I, I re- would have recognized Stephen King's face, but I never really knew anything about him other than his writing until the past couple of years. Seeing on Twitter. Now I'm like, all right, well, this aligns. This aligns. This aligns with someone who's always thinking and conjuring up the demonic and, and, and you know, whatever it may be. This totally this totally lines up with the kind of person that he seems to be. Um, I'm not trying to come down too hard on Stephen King here because I do think he's very talented, obviously, but it makes me wonder where this stuff comes from. I think there is a, uh, I don't know it offhand, so I'm not going to dive into it. I think there is an interesting, I think Stephen King does have some interesting sort of occult backstory or something like that, but I, you can't quote me on that. Gotta I've get heard, jaded, jaded. I've heard something of the sort, but I, I'm like you, I, I don't know the details. I, I don't, I don't think I ever, I was never a huge Stephen King fan that he had a couple of books that I really liked. Um, 
And then there were, then there were somewhere I was just like, Oh my gosh, why is he spending five pages describing a clock? You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, What is happening? Why am I the, reading this? I think that's the weird twisted maybe thing about why I liked him. Like as a teenager, like he would get really gory and graphic and graphically described like horrible, horrible scenes of like rape or murder or whatever it may be. And I thought that was really cool. Like just cause maybe just cause it was so shocking and just cause it wasn't what I got in books that I read in school. Um, yeah. so I, and, and, but yeah, and, and thinking that's cool because it's in a book, so it's not real, you know? So I, I think I, I gave less credence to things that aren't real. And I'm not saying if you read Stephen King books, you're going to go on a rape spree or anything like that. Um, but, but, <laughs> oh, <not. laughs> but I have to call my dad if that happens. <laughs> but I do think we need to be more Stop. cognizant of, of, of what we're putting in, into our minds because it it is having an effect. And this is true, whether we want to look at it spiritually or not, um, what we consume informs like what our brain thinks, even if it's not conscious, um, you know, I, I at some point you just become desensitized to things. And I think consuming the style and I love the horror genre. Like it is my genre horror and sci-fi is, like, is my, my wheelhouse. Favorite. Oh, Clyde Barker's inc- amazing. He's just an um, incredible writer. Yeah. So I, I love all that stuff. So it is, a, it is a bit of a conflict now too. It, it's actually even worse with sci-fi because sci-fi, especially sci-fi movies. Like I love sci-fi movies. Uh, 2001 space Odyssey is my favorite movie of all time. Uh, I, I watch it like, probably three or four times a year and I'm, and it never gets old to me. Um, but even movies like that, I mean, all Stanley Kubrick movies in some way, shape or form. Now I can't quite look at exactly the same because I see, I see the messaging in there and it's not all bad. I, I Stanley Kubrick is particularly fascinating to me because in some of his work, he seems to be promoting sort of a, an esoteric sort of Gnostic worldview, like, like in 2001 space Odyssey. <laughs> um, and then in other, in other of his films, he, it seems more like he's trying to expose sort of, elite uh elite the elitism and pedophile cults uh as in eyes wide shut the shining um so the, you can really take him a couple of different ways and he's probably a regular person so he's probably a complicated person so there are probably both el- elements of both of that I, i'm sure as someone who is deeply embedded within hollywood for like 30 years um he's probably seen a lot of shit um so maybe he got into it because he shared a lot of common beliefs but you know people change over time and it does seem to me like towards the end of of his career he became a lot more on the producing works to expose things more so than sort of promote a certain worldview but you could take you could take this stuff either way because it's art right i remember uh listening to um an episode that father turbo qualls was doing and they were talking about movies and he, he was talking about the movie the witch mm. Mm-hmm. And then he said, <clears throat> and he said the, the most evil movie of all time is a clockwork orange. And I mm-hmm. cringe because that's like my favorite movie ever. <laughs> I was like, no, it can't be the most evil movie. I mean, it's hard I, to argue with the protagonist is a rapist. <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I always love that movie. Just mm-hmm. and I'm like, you, yeah, I love Stanley Kubrick. He's done some really great things. I've come to, I've come to view Stanley Kubrick almost like the Hollywood version of Aldous Huxley, right? Hmm. So people read uh, Brave New World, and they're like, oh, yeah, this is like a warning of what could happen. But if you go back, he wrote, like, I think it was like 20 years later, 25 years later, he wrote uh, an essay called A Brave New World Revisited. And Hmm. I can't find it in print, but you can find the PDF online. I have it downloaded on my phone. But I like to I like to read that. Shoot that to me if you can. I'll, I'll send it yeah. over to you. Yeah. Um, he basically goes through and he breaks down and, and says, I could have never I knew what the plan was because uh, his brother, Julian Huxley, was the head of the U.N. Um, mm-hmm. And so he's like, I knew what the plan was. I could have never envisioned that it happened so quickly. Right. And he and he and he compares a brave new world to 1984. It says, it basically says, I like Orwell's 1984, but I think A Brave New World is more of a blueprint for what we have planned. And so I kind of look at like Kubrick in that same vein that he's revealing things to average people through entertainment, but he's doing it in a glorifying manner. You think it's sort of a, a revelation of the method sort of thing with him then? Um, well, I think it's kind of like, um, I think it's kind of like um, what, Tragedy and Hope, right? Mm-hmm. Like Carol Quigley wrote Tragedy and Hope as a celebration. 
Right, right. Not not as like a it's, warning. It's not a conspiracy book. It's like a look how we're doing these things. This is yes. Great. It's it's glorifying the actions. And I think kind of from what I gather with like after like stepping back and looking at Kubrick from like a 30,000 foot view, I, I kind of get the idea that he's glorifying these things. I, I think the only one that gives me pause on, on that is the eyes wide shut. Um, cause that, that's one that really does seem to be sort of pretty much blatantly saying, yes, our world is run by an evil pedophile sex cult and here's what they do. Here's how they trap people into it. Um, and it's, but, but again, maybe, you know, and there's a lot of ways to interpret, interpret the ending of that movie. I mean, maybe, maybe it's just saying, yeah, this is how we do it. And then they're going to get into it too. And so yeah, you, you definitely could take it. You could take it either way. Um, you know, I, I think, um, now there's always that that thought that he died while completing that movie, so he was exposing too much, and who knows what the final product would have turned out like if because you know he shot most of the movie, but then he didn't do you know he didn't oversee the the finishing of the film. So I, I'm curious what what that film would look like if if whatever hands came in and took it over uh, didn't do that. But um yeah it's 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 really um he's just one of the most fascinating characters to me, and it's someone I, I've actually wanted to do like a, a series soon, um like individually looking at his movies because they're just movies I've loved for like 20 years. So it seems like yeah. now that I have this show here, it's a, a perfect point to do that. And I have a lot of, a lot of people in mind uh, to to talk about that stuff with. So we'll see, we'll see where I go with that. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just a, a fascinating character to me, but yeah, you, you could certainly take him just like Orwell, just like Huxley that yeah, Like when I was young and read those books, I'm like, Oh, they're warning us about what the future could be like. <laughs> and then, then you look into the history of them and you realize they're all connected to intelligence operations and the goal global leash. You're like, Oh no, this is not a warning. It's, it's, if anything, it's a revelation. It's like, right. it's, it's, here's what's coming. And you know, we're going to, we're going to slowly get you ready for it by revealing, you know, revealing things through works of fiction. Right, right, yeah, and and you notice as as these things come out, and you're you're, it's wild because you'll like see things in a movie and you're like, oh, that'd be crazy, man. I would that would that would be disturbing if that ever happened. And then ten years later, you know, somebody like a Klaus Schwab or someone like that comes out and announces, "This is what we're doing," and you're like, Mm -hmm. that that looks an awful lot like what I just saw over here, you know, 10 years ago. And then they come out and say, no, it's a conspiracy theory. Mm -hmm. And you're like, but they wrote about it and and now they're doing it. What's the conspiracy? (laughs) And it's like this, it's just this weird form of gaslighting Mm -hmm. that I almost wonder if that's why they put it in movies too, because they do write about it. They are open about it. Yeah. It's to desensitize you. Well, and they can also say, you just saw that in the movies. Come on, you overactive imagination. You like, but they also said they're doing it (laughs) and then are doing it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it's a cope, you know, like, like I think normal people that I don't blame them just want to go about their lives and not imagine the world is run by evil satanic pedophiles. I totally get that. Why would you, why would you want to wake up every day and think that? Um, right. So I, I get why it's, it's much easier to just say that's a conspiracy and, and, you know, brush it aside. Cause otherwise you have to grapple with that. You have right. to grapple with that existence of that level of evil. And I think, I think I can kind of see two, two sort of kinds of people in the last couple of years, the, the kind of people that, accepted the evil that it was accepted that this was being intentionally done to us for nefarious purposes, obviously, uh, cause there's no non nefarious purpose to, to do what was done the last few years. Um, but to me, that's obvious to other people. It's not, or maybe it is, but they can't embrace that because then they have to tackle the good and evil question. And I think when you keep yourself in the mindset, this applies to libertarians looking at government or just regular people looking at the COVID stuff. Um, you can either just keep telling yourself it's just a bunch of honest people trying their darndest and whoopsie daisy. We slipped on a banana peel and, and had eight months of lockdowns in California. <laughs> like you, you can t- keep telling yourself that all day long or you can t- start to grapple with the fact that there is good and evil. Or start with evil, because once you accept evil, you all, to me it's like you have to accept good, and that's that's kind of like what's pushed me further and further down the path of like if there's definitely evil, what is evil a counterbalance to? What is a counterbalance to that evil? It has to be good, and if there's good, then well, that's actually hopeful in a weird way. It's like it's like seeing the evil actually helps you see the light and helps you see the good and helps you seek the good too. Um, 
because you could definitely take this conspiracy world uh, stuff as I have had for a long time. You can find yourself in a rabbit hole. You know, you, one one night you wake up, it's five in the morning. You just watch your six nine eleven video, and like you, it, it feels like the, there's no hope in the world. Right. Um, so if you just focus on the evil parts of it, like the the specific conspiracies here and there, yeah, you can get get completely lost. But at, at that same time, when you really when you really accept it. Because I think for a long time when I was into conspiracy stuff, there's like that part of my mind that would tell me like, it's not really real. You know, it's, it's just a, an interesting conspiracy video I watch. I'm not saying every conspiracy video is real, but there's there's truth behind a lot of them, even if the details are wrong. You know, right. um, and I think a lot of that's intentional. I think a lot of conspiracy stuff is put out there that's intentionally meant to obvious, obviously ob- obfuscate. 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 That's the word, Tommy. Um, (laughs) Intentionally meant to obfuscate um, what otherwise could be serious inquiry into to certain events or or that kind of thing. Um, I'm not sure where I was going with all that, but but yeah. You can be you can be the host and and reel me back in. Yeah, no, you got my mind reeling about books now, and I'm thinking like um, it's weird how I went down this journey where I was reading about the CIA. And then I pick up like a book like Orthodoxy and the Religion of the Future. Mm-hmm. And I, I set it down next to like the devil's chessboard. And I'm like, like, hold on. <laughs> like, this is crazy. It, you know, like just it, by habit, you just put it down and, and looked where you would put it down. <laughs> well, no, it, it's like if I read because like I've read like all kinds of stuff on the CIA and their mm-hmm. operations. I've read. Uh, it's a big new Brzezinski between two ages, the grand, ch- his book, the grand Chessboard. I've read these things and about the globalization and, and kind of the idea of the technocratic state. And, um, and then if I like pick up, like, I, I don't know if you've read that book by GM Davis, um, Antichrist, the fulfillment of globalization. That one I have not now. Oh, it's really good. You should really read that because I mean, it ties together. And I guess this is where I was going with it. It when you read like stuff like that, it or it'll tie together the politics that you see around you, the the cultural um like almost reaction to these politics and the way the culture continues to quote unquote progress. Mm-hmm. And and then it ties it into the spiritual and it gives you kind of a, a a view of it that you're like, this is why I relate to these people so well, because they are viewing things very much the same way I am. And then they are coming at me and telling me this is why it appears to be this. Hmm. Yeah, but, I mean, that, on that same line, like I've read a lot of like. Uh, Seraph and Rose's books. Nihilism really, was a great book. Yeah, he really resonates with me. I think there's one that's Orthodoxy in the New World Religion or something. The like religion that. of the future. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's this interesting parallel where like, yeah, this is like new stuff to me, but it's also really just it's almost like explaining the spiritual backbone of the global government, the global elite, uh, all the stuff that I've kind of known about for the last two decades or so. Um, it, it sort of explains what's behind that and, and ties it all in together. So like in many ways, this is just an, a natural progression of me looking into all this stuff. It's just going deeper into the spiritual aspect of it because I don't really care what you believe in for yourself. Um, or if you believe that what these other people believe in or, or the things that they look to are real, but they do, <laughs> they don't waste their time. Um, billionaires and trillionaires are not wasting their time playing kids games, uh, pretending to do mock sacrifices just for fun. All right. Right, Like this, these are real things they do and they believe they have power. So you need to grapple with that one way or the other. Yes. And I, I just got yesterday. Um, I got this father's Spirit and Bailey's book, Orthodoxy and the Kingdom of Satan. Oh, I haven't read that one. I read his one about UFOs. Okay. You, I well, think it's called I, the UFO deception. So I, I just opened it up like to the table of contents to see what, what all was in here because I was like, well, it sounded like a good book, but what what's all in it? And okay, so you got chapter one, war, chapter two, the United Nations, chapter three, powerful elites, chapter four, the European Union, chapter five, Freemasonry, chapter six, ancient cults. Chapter seven, ecumenism, and you're, and it just goes through mind control, child abuse, the Council on Foreign Relations, and I'm like, 
okay, yeah, I want. I'm glad I bought this book. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. the UFO the UFO book is uh, it should be coming either today or Monday. Yeah, that one's that one's really fascinating to me, especially because that's in some ways I feel like that was the beginning of my interest in all this stuff. I don't know if it was. I don't know what came first, like UFOs or Bigfoot, but that's kind of what started me down the path of of all of exploring everything because the Bermuda idea triangle. Oh yeah, you been trying to go with That's the big what one. it was for me. Yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. Wait a minute. <laughs> I definitely I definitely caught that on some unsolved mysteries. It was like, hold on, what? <laughs> yeah. I, I remember mean, reading books on the Bermuda Triangle when I was like 12 years old, going, That's weird. And then I saw JFK by Oliver Stone, and I was like, Oh, the whole world's a fucking nightmare. <laughs> yep. yep. And, and then now, like now I look back on that stuff and I I look at like, all right, well, like, where did I learn about UFOs? And I look and it's like, oh, yeah, it's like a Time Magazine special or something. Or it's like uh, the X-Files. And it's like, hold on. This is all the mainstream media that I am so skeptical of in every other way. Right. So so maybe if they're pushing this stuff on me, there's a reason behind that, too. And I shouldn't take yeah. all that at face value either. So, like, yeah, I, I definitely my definitely my thoughts on what that actually is have definitely changed a lot over the years. But my, my fascination by it has not. Have you ever have you ever had, like, experiences with ghosts? Ghosts? Um, no, not not with ghosts. My wife certainly has some some stories. Um, uh, UFOs, yes, I have. I definitely have at least two experiences where I would say were weird. Um, weird, weird enough. I mean, one one was in um, in the United States, just outside San Diego. I think this one is probably, if I wanted a non spiritual explanation, probably some weird military experiments because there are <coughs> military bases around there. Mm. Um, but the one we saw was like, um, it was actually like three in the morning and we were sitting outside and I, in my, we were talking and I looked up and I was like, Oh, there's some birds flying in, in, in formation. And then I was like, birds don't usually fly at three in the morning. In formation. <laughs> right? And I looked up cause it was like a, that, that triangle formation that like birds usually fly in. Mm-hmm. And I looked up and I looked back down and I looked up again. And then it's not like I saw them and didn't see them again. I saw them and then witnessed them flicker out of existence. Like it wasn't, it wasn't birds. It was these like weird triangles. And and my wife and we both look at each other like, did you see that? So we both saw it, the thing yeah. and both thought it was very strange. Um, but I, I mean, I think a lot of this, a decent amount of UFO stuff can probably be explained by just regular, not regular, but like, yeah, like material weird crafts that government people are working on for whatever reason. So I think that, but at the same time, I don't know if that explains everything. I mean, I had another one in Mexico where that didn't feel like that. <laughs> um, it just, yeah. it was just, it was the middle of the day, something in the sky that just the way it was moving. I just, it's not a plane. It's not, I mean, it just, it's, it's what it is. It's a UFO. It's a unidentified. So I, I don't know what that was, but it's in an area where there are a lot of UFO sightings uh, in central Mexico. There are certain areas, particularly around uh, volcanoes and that sort of thing where there are just, tons of ufo sightings um so it's not even weird like my wife didn't even think it was weird you know she's like oh yeah there's we always see this stuff around here <laughs> I'm like okay i remember one time um my wife and i were sitting out on the front porch we had a fire going she saw something in the sky and she goes look at that and i looked up and i was like hmm, that's weird wonder what that is and uh this was back when i was still over the road and so we kind of watched it and it kind of hovered around and then it was just gone. It just flashed off and it was gone. It left a little um, trail behind it. And it, mm-hmm. it, that was it. And I was like, that was that was odd. The way it was hovering and kind of jumping back and forth. And then it, boom, it was gone. And so the next week I got home and we're sitting outside again on our porch. And uh, it was probably two, three in the morning, something like that. And she tells me, she goes, okay, I'm going to go to the bathroom. And I was like, all right. So I'm sitting out here, just kind of staring off. I, I live out in the country, you know, so it's, it's nice out here at night. It's real peaceful. I know. That's why you got country internet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not the greatest. Um, but you know, I, you trade-offs, right? Exactly. Oh so. yeah. <laughs> I, I might be willing to make that trade at some point. So once the great internet gets to the country, man, I'm there. <laughs> I usually use a hotspot, but uh, I'm out of I'm out of data on my hotspot until the 13th. So it's like, all right, well, it's kind of kind of hanging out on the satellite Wi-Fi right now. Um, but so she's like, I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'm like, all right, that's cool. And she walks inside, 
And the next thing I know, I wake up and I'm on the side of the road four miles away from the house. What? And she said that before she even came out of the bathroom and got back out onto the porch, the phone rang. And it was a police officer calling her saying that she had, that they had found me. I had been gone less than five minutes and I was four miles away. I don't know how I got there. The only thing I could think of was there were lights and I was like, I got kicked out of a car. That's like the only thing that made sense to me. And, and but I don't know how I got in a car. I, like none of it made any sense. It was like so quick. It was over with so fast. I don't know what it was. Wow. Yeah. And it's that still, is a story, man. You should be you should go on the me. confessionals with Tony Merkel with that story. That was a, that's a, I don't, that's crazy. I don't know Tony, but, <laughs> but I can't yeah, make no, you know I, him. That's, that's, that's wild. I've, I've had a few. And things. the time doesn't add up either. Like you couldn't, it's not like you could have run four miles away in that. Exactly. Time. Yeah, exactly. Wow. I couldn't even gotten down my driveway. Were you, longer. was there a police officer that found you or? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Somebody, I, somebody saw me on the side of the road and called the cops. Cause there, my, my wife were, actually um, had an interesting experience with a phone call that like when she was younger, um, maybe in her late teens or something like that, she was hit by a car and her parents got a phone call like, Oh, your daughter, Diane is in this hospital. Like, you know, go, go see, go see her there. Um, and she, and so their parents were like, just went to this hospital and yeah, she was there, but they could never figure out who called them because she no one, no, there's no nothing that would have her identifying things on her. There was no contact information for her parents on her. She didn't talk to the person. She does, but she does remember seeing like, like some kind of like light and like someone like kind of like talking to her, like like oh, I'm going to help you or something like that. And then her parents got this phone call, but they could never figure out what where the phone call came from. Um, or there was no no rational explanation for how a human could have even known who to call. But yeah. they, but yeah, it's some interesting stuff. I I was reading. Um, I have a a, a set that Father uh, Turbo had told me told me about called the uh, Prologue of Ored, and it's um it's two um it's two volumes. It's it's basically like readings for every day, and it's readings on the lives of the saints, and then there's a homily on it. And one of the <laughs> one of the saints, his name was Father John. I can't remember um exactly where he was located at, but there was a lady who was put in the hospital and um, she kept asking that they contact father John, but it was the middle of a winter and it was a snowstorm and the nurse and the doctors like, there's no way for us to contact them. There's no way for us to contact them. And um, the lady was just in despair. She was just distressed because she, she knew she was about to die and that she wanted to take communion for the last time. So, um, even after the, like the doctors and nurses all refused to try, even try to send anybody out into the, into the weather and, and find father John. And she's just lays there crying on her, on her bed in the hospital, screaming, uh, father John, please come to me. And in the middle of the night, uh, he kicks a door in of the hospital, walks in gives her communion, prays with her and leaves. And, and, uh, the next day she's miraculously healed. And, um, uh, the doctors didn't understand. And she's like, it's cause father John came to me and, and they're like, nobody came last night. There's no way anybody could have gotten to you through this snowstorm. And the person in the bed next to her said, no, somebody came last night and spent time with her and prayed with her. Wow. Yeah, and and these stories and these of the these lives of the saints, these stories are really interesting. They're really really wild. Yeah, no, that that is wild. You hear stuff like it's interesting because you you see stuff like like I read some of these stories and like the lives of the saints, and then they're similar to stories I grew up seeing on like unsolved mysteries, and then they're similar to stories I hear from my wife. It's just like all this stuff together. It's like okay. Maybe if it's coming from all these places, including thousands of years ago, maybe there's something to this stuff. Right, right, right. Yeah, and it it, it kind of when you start digging into it, it does something to the way you look at the world. Oh yeah, it, it's like okay when you when you when you, and it, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about before. It makes you very observant of your own thoughts, of your own like actions, the way that you're interacting with the world. 
it makes you very, very aware of, of what's going on in at every little moment. Indeed. Yeah. I mean, it, it can't, once you start to see things in a different way, um, once you start to see the possibilities of spiritual influence, both good and bad in the world, it's, it's hard not to see it everywhere. It's hard not to, to look at whether it's a movie or the news, or just when you see someone, a couple arguing or something like I, I start to see like I, I, the spiritual aspect of, of all of this stuff. And um, yeah, it, it, it's kind of like, once you open your eyes to it, you, you, there's no going back. I mean, it, especially with movies, man, like I, I all my favorite movies now, like, I, I, like, ah, oh, fuck, there's that, there's that occult esoteric, like stuff that's in there. And it's, it's mm. just everywhere and you can't stop seeing it. And now it's like boring. Cause now they're just like, Oh, let's just have this f- fucking guy dressed like a, this effeminate man dressed like a Satan and have women worship him at, at the Grammys. Let's just like, this isn't even interesting anymore. Like they used to like Stanley Kubrick. He put some weird shit in there and made yeah. like, they're just like, <laughs> Just throw this fucking fat dude in a devil suit. We don't care. Like, oh, come on. <laughs> At least try now. Like, you know, that's what, that's the most disappointing to me is that the Satanists are they're just lazy now. It's just did you boring. Uh, did you see Jay Dyer's stream on that when he's talked when he talked about the Grammys and this last performance? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. Or I or, or, or I heard him talking about it on on um on uh, probably tinfoil hat. But yeah, I've, I've heard him talking about it. Well, he went through. Um, he I mean, he did like two hours and he went through how like all these performances of of the grammys like he went through madonna and all these different performers and how they were doing the same type of thing and using just it was more subtle then now they're just like nah fuck that right 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 and uh did you see the rn rn mcintyre's like little short video on it It was like seven minutes long no he called it it was hilarious he called it cartoonish satanism (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he said this is the most this is the most cowardly rebellion i've ever seen in my lives all you're doing is going with the flow it was yeah. it was really good i was like yeah yeah cartoonish satanism really stuck out in my head though i was like it is it, is, it was so such a caricature I mean, the funniest part of that is that right after his performance, you know, then they fly the the Pfizer sponsored by Fly, Pfizer logo. It's like while there's like the flames and the c- crowd applauding in the background, it's like, all right, this is we're not even bothering with subtlety now. Yes, yeah, but yeah. it's it's almost uh, I don't know. It's in some ways it's kind of hopeful. It's like all right, they're not even they're not even that motivated to be creative with this stuff anymore. So maybe they're just kind of like, fuck it, we're just gonna put it out there. Here's the devil. Are you in or out? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Yes, well, we're evil. We're Satanists. We're <coughs> Pfizer is representative of this. We're going to put it right in front of you and see what you do. Do you believe see, us? <laughs> but see, people are most people are just going to. Well, it's just entertainment. They're just doing it. for yeah, yeah, That is what they think. Blah, 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 blah. And, and whereas like you and I are looking at it from some such a different perspective anymore that we're like. Right. We, we see the attack of the of the churches. We see how how christianity specifically is always under attack and and then we see them openly come come forward and do these things as if performing a ritual and it makes us go okay i want to be on the opposite side of whatever they're doing right right whatever they're doing i don't want to be with that because because none of it feels good none of it feels right right yeah i mean just look at that guy when he's not dressed as Satan. None of it feels right. Um, but uh, <laughs> and, and it, it, there really is does seem to be like there's kind two of kinds of Caleb. There's two kinds of reaction. Like there, there's hardly anybody that I haven't really seen. Now maybe it's just the circles I run in. I don't know anybody that's like that was awesome. Like no, I, I mean uh, the crowd was applauding, but that's the fucking Hollywood idiot. So I don't know anybody that's like that was an amazing performance. I love that. There's two kinds of people. They're like. Yeah, they're just doing that for shock value, so the Christian right will get angry or whatever. Or there's the kind of people that are like, "Yeah, this is obviously like a representation spiritually of of an actual ritual that they are performing again, very lazily now." <laughs> yeah, spirit cooking is all for entertainment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's just for that's just kids, kids being boys, being boys, you know. Right, right. Well, it's been been an hour, man. Um, I want you to go ahead and plug whatever you got to plug, and. Uh... I, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on here and just chat and, sure and dig into some of this, some of the ways that our our minds are being changed and the world is being shaped around us. Absolutely. Well, uh, I mean, the main thing I got to plug is the Mark Claire show. It's pretty straightforward. You can find it pretty much 
everywhere you find shows, uh, every podcast platform imaginable, most video platforms you can think of. Uh, you can find me on YouTube, BitChute, Odyssey, Rumble. Um, that pretty much covers most of everything, but you can find every link also. To, uh, you can get to my link tree just by going to markclair.com. Uh, I also have a Substack. Also, recently re- relaunched my comic book podcast with my friend Renzo Martinez called Second Print Comics. We're having a blast doing that. And uh, if you enjoy my takes on spiritual and political matters, you might enjoy my takes on that stuff. Because actually, the further we go into this stuff, again, uh, it's everywhere. So uh, this, this, all my commentary and all facets of life are starting to sort of merge in some ways. So I think it's uh, interesting for anybody following along. All right. And I'm writing down second print comics right now so I can get a second print comics.com. Yeah. Yeah. I'll put it. I'll put a link in the show notes for all that. Cool, man. Well, I'm going to end the recording here, bro. I know you got things to do. All right, brother. It's been real. 